You may be seated. Amen. Wonderful. It's wonderful to see you all here this morning. Thank you for being here. Very glad to have you with us, and it's always great to be together and see one another. And We hope that you had a nice holidays together and got to see family. Some folks are still out of town, and some are visiting here with us this morning. We want you to know uh, that we're very glad to have you as well, those of you visiting. We're so very thankful to have those who join us online. We want you to know you're always welcome, and we're always here for you if there's anything you need. We finish our series on how do I become a Christian this week, and uh, then we'll get into something that's uh, a little bit similar as we finish out the year. The year's almost over, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, come and gone pretty quick, and then uh, at, towards the end of the year, I'll give you a preview of what's coming in our sermon series. We'll do that, uh, I think, on our last Sunday morning, but uh, we'll finish today looking at uh, added, being added to the church. You know, when I, my first year of college, I went to Stephen F. Austin, and then I transferred to ACU my sophomore year, and I lived in Edwards Hall with my friend Gary Binkley, who I grew up with at Shiloh Road before coming here in my high school years. And uh, Gary was already out there, and uh, it worked out for us to be able to room together. Well, your sophomore year is when you can pledge to be in a social club at like SFA or a state school. They call it a fraternity or sorority at ACU and uh, Harding and places like that. They call them uh, social clubs. So Gary and, and among others, we're going to pledge the social club Frauder Sodalis or Frauds. And uh, I didn't pledge. I wasn't interested in that. But uh, I lived with those guys over the couple of years, a few years, and uh, Got to see the, the ins and outs and ups and downs of, of all that social club stuff. But uh, they, that was a good group of guys that year that, that he pledged. But his sophomore year, the year I was there living with him, uh, he pledged frats. Well, now in the spring semester, that's, that's the pledge semester. And then they have uh, a bid week, I think they call it. And that's toward the end of the or spring, sometime around in the, in the middle to uh, sp early spring, something like that. So Gary is pledging. And at some point during pledge week, I think towards the, towards the end, I think that it's called bid night at the very end, to know where the, you, you, know, you find out whether or not you're going to get in. So I'm, at the, I'm in the dorm uh, by myself. It's very late. And there's a knock at the door. So I go to the door and I open the door, and before I know who it is or what's happening, I'm hit with the stinkiest stink that ever stunk that just knocked me over. The, and, and, and there was such a mess standing there, I didn't know who it was. And once I, once I recovered from the horrible smell, I noticed that that was Gary standing there. And I knew he had been out during pledging uh, that night, and they, they did all kinds of things. It's a lot more strict now. But I realized it was Gary, and I asked him, what happened? And all he wanted to do was to go into the bathroom in Edwards' dorm. We had our own bathrooms. He, he wanted to go in there and shower. He felt horrible. And I don't know how many showers he took that night, but it, it wasn't enough to get the smell out. And it took a long time to get out of his hair, what, what he had left, and it was really precious to him, and he was very worried about his hair. He didn't have a girlfriend. He was worried about finding one and getting married, and he had to take care of his hair, and, and I'm telling you, it did not come out for a long time. What I, find, <laughs> what I found out 
was what the big brothers, the older guys, uh, did for their little brother, those pledging, was that they collected a jug of whatever they wanted, mixed into a jug set outside in the sun for weeks and weeks and weeks to sit out there and cook and turn into horribleness. And then on this magical night of, of pledging, the guys had to stand there and endure their big brother pouring it over their head. And then they had to drive all the way back to their dorms and clean up. And that's called fun, <laughs> according to them. And so, uh, you know, it's sat on a sudden, who knows, who knows what, to this day, Gary doesn't know what was in his jug. It was whatever a college kid, a college guy could think of to put in there. So you can only imagine. Gary, why did Gary and so many of these other guys and girls pledged clubs too. Why did they do this? Why did they pledge to be in a club? Because they wanted to be added to that club, right? They wanted to be added to that social club. They wanted to be added to that group. And like I said, that year, at least those few years, there was a really good group of guys. I had a lot of respect for a lot of those guys that Gary hung out with. But when you become a Christian, you're added to something better than a social club or a fraternity. You're added to the Lord's church. And that's what we're looking at today. You're added to the Lord's church. Now, you don't have to pledge. You don't have to go through all of those experiences and, 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 and things like that. But there is a process involved, and that's what we've been studying about hearing the gospel and believing uh, that Jesus is who he says he is and repenting of your sins and confessing that Christ is Lord and being baptized, being immersed into Christ down in the water. And, and, and then at that point, and that's what we're looking at is, and, and then after that process, you're added to the Lord's church. And that's what we're looking at today. So what does it mean to be added to the church? This part is a little bit different than the things we've been looking at, the, the, the steps, so to speak, that we've been looking at, because it, it kind of happens at the end or, or, or maybe somewhat after the fact. It's at the point of being saved, being united with Christ in baptism. At that point, you are then added to the church. So you're, you're added as a Christian to the church. So it, it happens in, in, you know, at that point in the sequence. So let's look again at a passage we've looked at I think every week in this series, Acts chapter 2, and, and, and let's see that again and then, and then go a little further in it to see uh, something about what we're talking about today. Look at verse 36 of Acts 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, notice what the Bible says happened after they were baptized. Look at verse 41. So those who received his word, they heard and they believed, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, earlier in the book of Acts, it tells us it was about 120 
disciples at that time. And so at this point, the church grew exponentially, and it added 3,000 people out of that crowd of all those who were there for Pentecost who heard Jesus, who were convicted by the message of Christ, and, and they said, we believe what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, and that's what they did. They just simply did what they were told to do in response to the good news of Jesus. And then what happens? They were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now after that, we get a look into the life of the early church, just keep going in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The apostles did the miracles. Jesus had given them the authority and ability to do that. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. We see this unity, this camaraderie among them, this care for one another, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And then what? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see that? See, when the church lives like the church is supposed to live, when we act like the church is supposed to act, when we are the church we're supposed to be, what we see in Scripture is the Lord adds to the church. How? Because you have people who are living out the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, to, to, to make and grow disciples. And when that happens, God, because this is His work, not our work we're doing to earn anything, it's, it's His work that He's doing, and He adds to His church day by day, those who were being saved. So who was added to the church? Let's ask a question of the text. Who was added to the church? Those who were being saved. So those who are saved, and that's the process we've been looking at these last few weeks, are those who were added to the church. When you're saved, when you obey the gospel, when you become a Christian, when you put on Christ in baptism, that's all the same thing in Scripture. You're added to the Lord's church. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse number 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body... Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He's talking about our physical body, and then he's saying this is the same way with the body of Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were, look at this, all baptized into what? One body. We were baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. It didn't matter what color. It didn't matter ethnicity. It didn't matter where you're from, your income, your education. It didn't matter. Those who responded to the gospel were baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now skip down to verse 27 there in 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul writes, Now you are the body of Christ. You collectively and individually members of it. How'd you get in that body? When you obeyed the gospel, he added you to the church. That church is the body of Christ. Paul had more to say about the body in, in verses 15 through 26 and what it means to be added. Look at verse 15. 
If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of, of uh, smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He's, he's, he's t- talking about our physical body to help us understand the spiritual body of Christ. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head uh, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And, our, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, the greater honor, and our unrepresentable uh, parts are treated with greater modesty. Verse 24, which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Look at verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's what we just saw in Acts chapter 2. If one member suffers, all members suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We see that among us when, uh, when uh, we have somebody in the hospital, someone who's lost somebody, and we see how this body responds, this congregation, this group of the body of Christ. We see how this group responds. We also see how we rejoice with one another. Recently with uh, Sister Hawes turning 100, we came together and rejoiced with her because we were so happy for her and she's so special to us. So we see how that body works. See, when you're added to the Lord's church, his body, it's significant. It matters. And we need new Christians to understand this. This is something we gotta, we got to help them, someone know when they're, when, they're, when they're counting the cost of becoming a Christian, that it matters. It's something special and significant when you're added to the body of Christ. Each member matters. We're to care for one another. And people need to know that you're needed here and there is a place for you. And that's why the deacons are working to get everybody engaged in ministry. You don't have to do 15 things and something every day of the week. That's not what anybody's asking. But we want everybody engaged in some form of ministry and service in the church. Why? Because you matter. And you're a part of this body. And for us to function well and to be a healthy body, we need all the members working together. We need everybody doing their part, as Paul wrote about in Ephesians. And so another thing to understand is that as a member of the body, you need to feel a sense of responsibility not only to get in, in, engaged in ministry, but also to get to know one another. If they're new or if they're a different age or they have different interests, that's okay. Remember, we're all together, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. See, it doesn't matter. So, so don't let age be a barrier to getting to know one another. Don't, don't let different interests be uh, uh, and different uh, hobbies be a barrier to getting to know one another. Get, make sure you know everyone in the congregation. At Oldham Lane, it was, a member, it was a membership of about 700 folks. And it got to the point where we had to have two morning services. They were exactly the same, but we had first service, Bible class, second service. And 
you just, it, it's, it's so hard to get to know uh, even new members and visitors and keep up with members who've been there a long time. And we went to both services just to try to see everybody every week. We're sitting in a different place a lot of times. But, but that gets hard to do, but you got to make it a goal to make sure you get to know everyone in the body. See, and another thing is the body, in, in, being a part of the body, we need to be here together. We need to be here together with one another. See, see, when we gather, that's our time to be together and worship together, to fellowship, to get to know one another, to, to, to communicate, to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to support each other, to grow together. And then we scatter to do the Lord's work. Does that make sense? So we need to make coming together a priority for ourselves and for our families. And, and you know, we have some wonderful teachers and they work really hard to get ready for their classes, for your children, for all the way up through adults. I know Kenley works very hard. To, and so, so we, need, we need to make sure we're participating as a member of the body in what is being offered to us to help us grow spiritually and be who God would have us to be. So let me ask this question. What church are you added to? We're seeing in the Bible that you're added to a church. You're added to the church when you become a Christian. So, so what church are you added to? Well, here's one way to think about it. It's what we see in Scripture. It's the church you read about in the New Testament. Did you know there weren't 58,000 umpteen churches in the Bible? There was one. There was one group of people who followed Christ. They were called Christians, and it was that simple. They were called Christians in Antioch. In fact, it was not a very uh, a positive term when they called them Christians. It was kind of negative. And they called them Christians, those Christ followers, those people who follow Christ. And so when you're added to the church, the only one to be added to is the one that, that, was, that was there back then, and that's the one that we see in the New Testament. It's a church that teaches what the Bible teaches on how to become a Christian because that's what we see in Scripture. So there wasn't another church to be a member of or to be, 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 be baptized into or become a Christian of. There was only one, and that's the one, the one that teaches what the Bible teaches on how to become a Christian because we looked at what the Bible taught on that. So that's the only church uh, to be a member of. And then... This is what we mean when we say the Church of Christ. When we say the Church of Christ, we're not talking about a denomination and all of that. We need to make sure we understand that. We're talking about simply what we see in the New Testament, the church that belonged to Christ. That's who we're supposed to be. That's who we're supposed to strive to be is simply Christ's followers. And who are those people? Well, that's, the, that's that church, those people that belong to Christ. Not a denominational title, not, not with a headquarters, not, not something else, but simply we need to strive to be the people that we read about in the Bible. We're simply saying the church who belongs to Jesus. And isn't that the church you want to belong to? I mean, if I'm going to be in a church and, and, and live my life for Christ, I, I want to be the, in the one that I see in the Bible. And I want to do what it says I need to do to be a Christian, to be a part of that congregation, that church. And so that's what we need to strive to. So when I look in the New Testament and I see what church they were in, there was only one. And that's the one we need to strive to be in. They were the body of Christ. They were the church of those belonging to Christ. And that's all we're supposed to be and all we need to try to be. Nothing else. It's, it really is that simple. It's those who belong to Christ. So what do I do when I'm added to the church? What do I do 
when I become a Christian and I'm added to the church. You don't have to place membership and as far as uh, that's not how you become a Christian. You place membership when you're, when you're new at a local congregation and you're, ident- you're simply identifying yourself as I'm going to be a part of this local part of the body. Does that make sense? You're not voted in. It, when you become a Christian, you're added to the Lord's church uh, around the world. Anywhere you go and you're among the Lord's people, you're a member of that church. But when you settle in somewhere, you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm raising my hand, I'm putting my hand behind the plow to serve at that congregation of the Lord's people. That's what placing membership does. The elders then recognize you as that's a soul for me to watch over. That's a member that we can get involved and we can uh, uh, serve alongside and worship with. But what do I do when I'm added to this church? Well, let's just look at a few passages that tell us some things. Luke 14, 27, we looked at last week, carry your cross. Luke writes, whoever does not bear his own cross, Jesus' words here, and come after me cannot be my disciple. So he's talking about counting the cost and then carrying your own cross. What does that mean? You're going to go through some trials. You're going to go through some things in life. And you also have a Christian duty to carry that cross, that burden of Christ, and to follow him in the path he would have you to go. And that's what you need to do is you need to carry your cross as a Christian, as a member of the local church. And and sometimes that might mean suffering for your faith and going through that and not setting your cross down but carrying it. When you carry a cross, if you were to carry a cross all the way down Main Street, do you think people might notice? You see, you don't set it down because somebody drives by and says something ugly to you about carrying that cross. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, that's ridiculous. What do you think you believe in? Or somebody cusses at you or makes fun of you or whatever. You're rejected. You don't put the cross down. He's saying you carry the cross. You never, you never set it down. And then, and then also James 1, uh, 22, James writes, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. See, we need to practice what we read in the scripture. We need to live out the scripture in our lives. We need to be people of the word. We need to live it out in our private lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, and in public. It's easier said than done, isn't it, though? But that's who we're called to be. And then next, we need to protect unity. We looked at this in another passage, but look at Ephesians 4, 3, where Peter write, Paul writes, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. See, among the local congregation and among uh, congregations of the Lord Church, you've got to be willing to protect unity. You've you got to not let any... Remember, Paul wrote, don't let there be any divisions in the body in 1 Corinthians 12. So don't do anything to divide the body. Do only things that will unite. Now, you always stand for truth. And, and, but he's talking about in the way we work with one another, the way we care for one another, the way we serve. Do things that promote unity and protect the unity of the Lord's Church. In the bond of peace, we need to seek peace. In one place, the Bible says, seek peace and pursue it. And each member has a responsibility to do that. Not just the elders, not not just the preacher, not just uh, the deacons. Every member has a responsibility. What am I supposed to do as a member of the, the Lord's church? Help protect unity in the Lord's church. 
See, when we don't treat each other right, when we don't care for one another, that hurts our unity. That causes division. That hurts feelings. And that causes damage to the local church, to the faith of people, of young people and those who look at us uh, from the outside. And then finally, we need to grow spiritually. I love this verse. I, I, I often give this when someone's baptized and we're reading scriptures to them. Uh, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter just tells you, here's what you need to do. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want something to do? Do that. And the more you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that, that's that greatest commandment. And that's the great commission. And that's who we're supposed to be. That's spiritual maturity. And we're supposed to strive to grow spiritually. And then to him, Jesus, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. See, when we grow spiritually individually, then our church is growing spiritually collectively. And when we do that, that glorifies Jesus. We're that light, that city on a hill, that bright light, that beacon uh, that people can see because those people are, are, are spiritually mature Christians and that attracts others to Jesus. Being immature and acting like it doesn't attract people to Jesus. We need to strive to grow spiritually. Our aim as members of the Lord's church should be to glorify Jesus. My friend Gary was added to the Frater Sadalis Social Club. And that, that, that name, Frater Sadalis, means brothers together. And, and they really were a close group of, of guys. They were really close. Many of them are still very close to this day. Joyce's brother is a Marine. And we know that their motto, motto is Semper Fidelis. Semper Fidelis. And that means what? That's Latin for always faithful. You see, when it comes to social clubs and the military, and of course we have high respect and, and honor and appreciation for the military, but when it comes to social clubs in the military, we get it. We, we, like we're, we're happy to give honor and respect to, to their commitment to those groups, aren't we? We, we give it to them. Or, or if they're a member of law enforcement, anything like that, we, we honor and respect their commitment to the group that they're in. But when it comes to the church, we don't always do that, do we? We don't always have that same respect and honor to somebody, towards somebody who's committed to the Lord's church. We, we kind of look at that as maybe a little extreme or too fanatical or, or come on, this is, this is the 2000s. You know, this, this isn't the 80s anymore. It's okay. You don't have to be that committed to God. But see, when it comes to something like that, that's, that's earthly and although respectable and many of those groups respectable like the military and law enforcement, man, we just we, their honor and commitment is we have highest, the highest respect for. And, and we should have great respect for that. But we ought to have the most respect for great commitment to the Lord's church. None of those people can save you. None of those groups can save your eternal life. As much as the military has done for our country historically, as much as law enforcement, none of them can get you to heaven. None of them, they can save your physical life, but they can't save your spiritual life. Friends in a social club can be great partners and buddies all throughout your life and be an encouragement to you, but not, ain't none of them going to get you to heaven. Only Christ and his church get you to heaven. 
That's the boat to be on, and that's what Peter was talking about. This water now saves you when he's talking about the ark. They were saved in the ark through the water. In Revelation 2.10, as we close, John records these words that Jesus spoke to the church in Smyrna. He said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What's he saying? He's saying when you get in, dig in. When you get in, dig in. When you get added to the Lord's church, dig in and serve and do the work of God. Be faithful unto death, as Jesus wrote. And then you will receive the crown of life. That's what I want to encourage you in. When you get in, dig in. And when we do that, we glorify Jesus, and we also are that shining light to the world to bring others to Christ. That's a strong church that's really doing something for God, and that's who we want to be. And I, I hope that's what you want to be as an individual member. And maybe you haven't been living that way and you want to. Maybe you're ready to be added to the church this morning, or maybe you need prayers for some other reason. We want you to know that this church is here for you. If we can serve you in any way this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.